Welcome to the Badass CEO Podcast. This is Mimi McLean. I'm a mom of five, entrepreneur, Columbia Business School grad, CPA, and angel investor. And I'm here to share with you my passion for entrepreneurship. Throughout my career, I have met many incredible people who have started businesses, disrupted industries, persevered, and turned opportunity into success. Each episode, we will discuss what it takes to become and continue to be a badass CEO, directly from the entrepreneurs who have made it happen. If you're new in your career, dreaming about starting your own business, or already an entrepreneur, the Badass CEO Podcast is for you. I want to give you the drive and tools needed to succeed in following your dreams. Before I get started, I wanted to talk to you about accounting and bookkeeping. As you may know, I'm a CPA, and this is a topic that still makes my stomach turn. However, I found a company that does it all for you at a super reasonable price. They do your bookkeeping and tax returns with ease. I couldn't believe how easy it was to get my books up to date, actually, because they were a little behind, and how inexpensive it was, too. To learn more about it, go to thebadassceo.com forward slash bench. With that link, you receive 30% off your first three months. So definitely check them out and save some stress this year. Hi, welcome back to The Badass CEO. This is your host, Mimi McLean. And today I have on Vanessa Dawson, and she is the CEO and founder of Arbor. It's the first of its kind plant care company whose core mission is plants and plant wellness. An entrepreneur with a background in digital development, venture, and private equity, Vanessa has experienced operating, investing, and consulting with a variety of companies from early stage technology startups to innovative teams and Fortune 500 companies. Prior to launching Arbor, Vanessa founded a crowdfunding and payment platform company called Avery, designed to make payments for group activities more efficient. She also started the Veneta Project, a high-impact capital platform that accelerates female founders' growth and helps provide them with resources to build their companies. Through Veneta, she was able to cultivate a diverse global network of founders, investors, and corporate partners focused on closing the gender-based funding gap for the female tech founders. Veneta has enabled the flow of over $225 million in venture capital to seed stage companies, creating millions of dollars in economic value. Vanessa was also recently elected to the National Women's Business Council, a nonpartisan Federal Advisory Committee established to serve as an independent source of advice and policy recommendations to the administrator of the SBA, Congress, and the president on economic issues of importance to women business owners. To get your top 10 tips every entrepreneur should know, go to thebadassceo.com slash tips. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on. I'm actually, after reading your bio, I'm super intimidated because you are totally the badass CEO (laughs) with what you've done. It's like really impressive. There's so many different aspects to talk about with your career. But I really want to talk about is your latest venture, Arbor. And it's something that's near and dear to my heart with healthier living because me having chronic Lyme, that's you have to clean up everything. And one of the things is making sure your pesticides that you're using for your gardeners outside or on your plants, they cause so many health issues that people don't realize. So 
when I saw this opportunity to talk to you, I was super excited because I was something that's near and dear to my heart. So I would love for you to just talk about how you came up with your idea and then like how you just kind of transitioned away from finance and investing to do your own thing. Yeah, amazing. Well, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, it's a, it's a very exciting opportunity. There's not a ton of products like this in the space, but there are a ton of chemically driven products that, like you said, people, consumers just aren't totally aware of the not only human and negative impact, but environmental impact and otherwise. So it's a yeah, massive opportunity. So I guess, I mean, where did where to begin? I I kind of started Arbor. This is my fourth venture now. So it's uh, come from a career of entrepreneurship, trying to figure out which one stuck and which one I truly could dig into, um, pun intended with this one. And I think I really love the product world. I've built a ton of companies within tech and software. And I think coming into consumer goods and, and creating products was really a fascinating switch. And also one where I thought I could have a lot of impact, which has always been important to me as an entrepreneur. So yeah, this really has been a work in process and a labor of love for the past three years. I was working, primarily was working actually supporting other female entrepreneurs for the last seven years through my project, Veneta, Veneta Project, which was a community for high growth female entrepreneurs building primarily, again, tech companies, but we did get into getting into the consumer. And we, uh, we worked with a ton of great corporate partners. And so it was really interesting to see what you know JP Morgan was looking for on the market and what Procter and Gamble was looking for on the market and supporting these women and accessing these really great Fortune 500s and kind of understanding the innovations that they were on the lookout for and the big opportunities that they foresaw. And so after kind of working with Veneta and just scouting for a very long time, you get to see thousands and thousands of companies and so, you, yeah, again, you got to see kind of what's missing potentially in the market space. And I had moved from New York uh, to LA um, a couple, I guess, four or five years ago now, gosh, and started, I don't know what I call millennial adulting, bought a house and started gardening again. And yeah, I, I was just getting back into planting and so taking care of plants, something that I've always done as a, as a young girl and that my mom and my grandma really cultivated in me. And when I went to buy products for this space, it was just a really fascinating uh, retail environment. There was just really chemically driven products that, again, are super harmful uh, for... A lot of them are super harmful for the planet, the pollinators, uh, the people, your pets, and or there were organic or naturals, which is a very greenwashed word in our industry and in a number of industries. And those products are just primarily brands are using similar ingredients. So neem oils or spinosad or BTs, and they're just kind of repackaging and repurposing under a new brand. So not a ton of scientific technological complexity, new ingredients. And a lot of the greenwashing really exists because they're not as strictly regulated or tested. So certain organic products I even found were harmful to beneficial insects or harmful to soil or waterways. So yeah, there's there was just a really interesting space to be had within the garden world. And after, again, working with so many female entrepreneurs over the years, I hadn't seen anyone doing anything in this space, which was so interesting to me as well. So we've gone non-toxic, really 
inside our homes. We, we've looked at our skincare and our laundry and our children's routines and our yeah cleaning routines. But when you looked outside the home, we just I just hadn't I couldn't find anything that really satisfied me from technology perspective and a brand perspective too. So Arbor, that that was the beginning of my search for Arbor. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that story. And then, I mean, obviously you you had a lot of experience, but you didn't. That this is like your first time really getting into the consumer products experience for your own personal ventures. How was that? Like, did you just call up people that you knew already? And then just like, what what was like your first step to say, okay, I'm going to do this company. Now, what do I do? Like, who do I call? Where do I find that? How to source it? How to make the products? Because it yeah. didn't exist. You're asking to create something that doesn't exist. Yeah. So I did a ton of research on w- whether I wanted to sell a product B2B. So like mass scale, do I want to be in agriculture and selling into wineries and farms and doing kind of mass market with products like these? Or do I want to create, again, a yeah, very consumer home and garden product where focus more on the brand and on that, that distribution and pricing and costing and service to the, to the customer? And that was kind of where the technology was sourced. So I actually discovered this woman who is a a fan fangirled um, named Dr. Pam Marone. And so she has built a career for the last 30 years in this industry called biologicals, which is a, I guess, a technology that is used very heavily in the agricultural industry to start to replace or supplement chemical pesticides. So she's been developing and discovering these biological ingredients, yeah, through numerous different companies over her career. And so she'll go, she'll put together a team of scientists, they'll go out to the fields quite literally and just find unique environments, whether it be in the soil or whether it be in yeah, a cornfield or whether it be under a maple tree in Japan. And you find these really interesting microbes and bacteria and plant extracts that are doing the work. They're preventing disease. They're they're preventing pests. They're boosting plant immunity. And so she brings those back to the lab, figures out how to naturally, or I should say organically, um, not synthetically, produce them through fermentation or other processes, then kind of mass produ- has mass produced a number of these biological products for agriculture. So when I first saw Pam, I was like, oh my gosh, this is my competitor. Like This is who I need to be. Um, and she's very focused on agriculture, but then very quickly I realized this technology has been around for a long time in agriculture. It's kind of just getting getting there where economies of scale are coming down. So manufacturing prices are coming down, access to these ingredients and on R and D is coming down in price point, and they're not accessible to the home gardener yet. So I was like, maybe I should partner with this doctor versus trying to compete with this person who has 30 years experience and a PhD in entomology from Cornell and the list goes on. So yeah, so I classic LinkedIn dropped into the DMs and we just started talking about our histories as entrepreneurs and what she's working on and what I want to do with biologicals and home and garden. And yeah, we just really got that. That was really the moment where I started to piece together what the products could look like because Pam has had such a depth of experience developing these products and I've had more of a depth of experience on the consumer side. So yeah, we kind of collaborated on what that could look like. Now, is she a partner or is she 
like a consultant? She's an advisor. So yeah, she, she's an advisor, an investor in the company. And she, uh, yes, yeah, so she's kind of my chief product and scientific advisor. And we work very heavily on the product lines together in the formulations and um, yeah, the different, the different technologies. That's amazing. Sorry. Um, but it's true. There, there's times when you, you have to look at someone strategically versus competitive and see where you can leverage them. I think the next hurdle that people tend to face when they want to start a company is the financing. So, I mean, that's obviously your expertise. Is that something that you kind of financed on your own for a while? Or did you immediately try to get like friends and family around? How, how did you finance your company right off the bat? Yeah. So I initially worked with a partner on the fundraising side of things, which actually didn't go very well. So I realized like you said, this is my expertise. Why am I not just leaning into this and going for it, leveraging the networks I've created over the past 10 years, the the validity within the industry and the knowledge I have of venture and what venture is looking for and, and everything else. And I actually stumbled very early upon a solid list of consumers. So when you go to venture, you really need to be specifically targeted towards the types of investors that invest in your sector. So I've spent a lot of my career developing investor relationships in software, which is a very different world than consumer investing. However, consumer investing has scaled at an enormous rate in the past 10 years due to just a number of fabulous consumer brands that have come to the market and the D2C opportunities that have helped these brands scale dramatically. And so there is a great like list of leading consumer investors, both angel and otherwise. So you know, you start with a list, you create your create your hot list, your dream list, then you map it out by stage and you kind of have to really get an early champion though. And so I was very lucky in getting a champion in a man called Ben Zeises. So he is a consumer, early, very early stage consumer investor based in New York. He was the very first investor in Quip. He was the very first investor in Caraway. He was my very first check. And we just really jived after our first conversation. You just the investor relationship is almost as important as the any partner relationship too, right? They're really with you and supporting you and believing in the opportunity that you're creating. And yeah, I met Ben very early on through a couple people in my network and it just happened and jived. And so he's been my first investor and has helped me source a significant amount of the investors in my network right now from the consumer perspective or the investors in my round. That's great. Now, when you, he invested at that point, what stage were you in? Were you still in like idea stage? Had you already developed the product? Pre-seed. So he's taking a risk on, are you going to name this properly? Are the colors, the packaging oh. going to look good? Do I believe you actually have access to these formulations and can create these ingredients? So yeah, he he's taking a massive risk and not just his own capital, but leveraging his network too. So it's, um yeah, it's really kind of a trusting relationship in the team and, and each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then what have you found either with this company or with the other two companies that you started? What do you see is like the hardest lesson you learned? Or what would you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's been a very crazy year launching company within COVID and especially launching a consumer goods company. So a lot of my barriers or struggles were directly tied to that. Freight prices have gone up insanely. Labor shortages are just across the board in every area. You wouldn't even think like, who can go and sticker a bottle for me this week that I need 50,000 done and you can't find temp labor to do a thing or they don't show up. It's just, there's been a lot of challenges 
that then like roll down to your costs and to your margin, deplete your margin and otherwise. So yeah, it's been launching within a global pandemic, I would say is, is a lesson. Good and it bad, right? Because you're direct to consumer. Yeah, we're well, actually, we're omnichannel. So we are direct to consumer. We sell in independent garden centers. We also sell in, in big box retail. So we decided to like go forth within all of the different channels. So the pandemic was actually like people started gardening more because everyone was home, True. right? And then people started True. like shopping online more when they're not used to before as much. Yeah. So- that's There's true. Benefits of it. But yes, especially now I would think it's even harder like with getting yeah. employees and like you said. I think it's um yeah, that's that's actually very true. There's been great great things for the gardening world in terms of, you know, 20 million new gardeners added to the market who are expected to stay and just a yeah, a massive increase in appreciation for the the joy of gardening and people wanting to get back in into that and grow their own food and, and otherwise. So that's been a fabulous result. But yeah, some of the supply chain issues definitely have been a little tricky and we're still crawling out of that stuff. I think, um, yeah, building the team, I don't know if I would have, I, I wouldn't have made any changes, but I think being really conscious of your very first hires and making sure that that they're the right fit because they're regardless of the title that you hire them for, they are wholly and fully a part of the company in so many ways. And so as a solo founder, that was really critical to the process. And I think I got extremely lucky with that in all of my amazing first hires. But I think that's something to really think about as a founder and as a solo founder in particular. What would I have done differently though? Honestly, I just kind of, with this one, with this company, I just kind of knew this is, the, this is the one that's going to kind of fall into place. I think setting, I don't know, this has been, I don't want to say this is by no means been easy, but it really feel like because I'm so passionate about the space and passionate about the brand, we're leveraging new technology. There's just so many pieces of the pie that I got wrong in past companies that I'm like, leveraging now. So maybe it's what I did wrong in past companies that I'm more yeah. could focus well, What would on. you say would be like a thing that you did wrong in the first two companies that you're bringing over? Yeah. I think addressing the market opportunity and specifically like new technology or new, or new product, I think is really huge. So a lot of us, especially as a investor, you know, you see so many of the same thing over and over and over with not a ton of differentiated value. And so I really think that that is something for entrepreneurs to really hone in and focus on that brands cannot be the only distinguishing factor between what you're what you're going to bring to market. It really has to have a lot of different layers for that than that. And yeah, making sure that this really doesn't exist in the way that you are going to, to bring it uh, to the mm-hmm. space. It doesn't necessarily mean you need some crazy IP or otherwise, but it has to have a pretty differentiated and, and unique angle. I think the biggest lesson as well learned from past companies is kind of finding your triple bottom line is important to me at least and really just keeps me going and motivated. And, and not all my past companies had that. I think that you need or I need that mission and impact that I can have, not just the revenue and and top line goals. I want to have an impact on the world. I want to create products accessible to everyone to help them grow a better world, which really is our our vision with Arbor. So I think that 
is potentially the failure of some of my past companies that really didn't have that full scope and, and depth in terms of what the business could be. Right. Now, you guys, have you set yourself up as a, um, a B Corp or will you do that? I know it's so much work. Yeah, we haven't yet. We're nine months old, but definitely looking into that. It, it Like you said, it is, it is a, a bit of a lift. So mm. yes, on the to-do list, definitely, but not quite yet. But so for anybody who's lift, listening, like a B Corp, it, it means that you you know care about the people, profit, and planet. It's, it's very hard to get. It's expensive to get. There are companies like Tom's or... Um, Patagonia, probably. Patagonia, that's what I'm thinking. Um, Patagonia, Beauty Counter is. That's the only reason why I knew it because Beauty Counter became a triple bottle line. So, you know, as you would know this even better than I do, but starting Veneta, you know, the percentage of female companies that get funding is so small compared to men. Is there like something that advice, because I know a lot of women I talk to at any stage, their biggest headache is, is funding. Sometimes they either don't even know they can get funding, they don't realize it, they just kind of keep investing or they just, you know. So I guess my question is, is there any takeaways? I know this is a whole, we could have a whole podcast just on this subject, but is there any takeaways that people are doing wrong or they're not doing that you could say, okay, this is what you need to start doing in order to increase that percentage? Yeah, if you if you do want to go for venture in in any of your startups, you need to start developing that network early. I think it's a network that is naturally men. I don't want to say are born into, but they are. But they're naturally born into. They have other guys that are doing deals, that are working on Wall Street, that run the private equity shops. There's just the majority of people investing are men. Therefore, the majority of networks and deal flow that comes to them are other guys. So. The networking aspect of it is so crucial. I wasn't able to raise three million quickly for this company because I, you know, can just wake up and and give a pitch. It really was done because I spent the last ten years building a network and understanding of a venture and what they're looking for and of investor networks and otherwise. So I think that's really critical and not always looking though or, or understanding the different fundraising mechanisms. There's there's a ton of different ways to get money. You can get equity, you can get debt, you can get family loans. There's just, I think, figuring out whether venture and, and equity financing is really the best thing for your company and for you is also an assessment that I think needs to be done in addition. And then further to that, kind of getting as far along as you can in the concept before money is like absolutely required. This is, I think, why technology startups were such a great low barrier to entry. You can really hack something together that is your minimum viable product that you can show to the world or get user interest in or even start to acquire customers without having to spend a ton of money, you know? You find a developer that's passionate about it as well. You give them a portion of the company. You find a designer. You you build that team in a pretty low cost way and and put something out in the world and see if it sticks. And then that the more validation you get, the easier it becomes to raise money because obviously they see that you have you have some traction. So trying to build that MVP, they call it in the industry, and trying to build it very cost efficiently is a is always a great way to start. You'll also learn so much as to whether, is this really something that I should be doing? Is there interest for it? Do consumers care about it? Yeah, you'll, you'll just learn a lot by trying to 
kind of bootstrap it for a certain period of time in the beginning. I totally agree with what you're saying. And and it's also, I was wondering, like, you've looked at so many deals, you've seen them succeed, not succeed, become unicorns, not become whatever. Have you seen a trend as to what makes some women entrepreneurs more successful than others, either characteristically, experience, things that happened, their team, like whatever. If you could look at things like, well, that's why that company did really well, or that why this one didn't do well. Have you seen any common themes in what you've invested in? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I think... I hate to use the word aggressive associated with women because it's so negatively associated with with women a lot of the time. But I think there is a certain like aggression and energy in a positive way that you just can feel that nothing is going to stop this person. Determination, right? The grit. Yes, that determination that you can just feel it in someone. And their story will even resonate more with you too when, when you hear that. And whether they yeah hand you the product or not, you can just really get behind their vision because you can sense that yeah determination and grit and the no fear, no stop kind of attitude has definitely been a something that I've always seen in entrepreneurs that I've gotten excited about or invested in. And again, I think that little bit of traction and or having tested the market. I, I really like to see someone who takes a data-driven approach to things, not just, I want to do this because I like chocolate bars and I don't can't find a chocolate bar I like. Like, okay, show me. Do 20 other people agree that this chocolate bar needs to exist and how it's different? And I think data-driven founders has always been something that I've always looked at and or founders that have identified and tested the market opportunity in a very clear and solid way and have put in that that additional work up front to, to see if it, if it has legs or not. That's good. Okay. Last question. This has been amazing. I could talk to you forever, but I don't want to take too much more of your time, but to close, what last minute advice would you give other founders or female CEOs? We've covered so much so far, but anything that we haven't covered that you could give them inspiration, motivation tips on your experience of the three companies that you've started? Yeah. I think entrepreneurship is a journey, but it's also very freeing in the sense for your time and your ability to control yeah, your schedule and work around family. And it just really opens up so much control over, over your own kind of destiny and over your schedule. So I think it's, it's a great career and, and um, space to be operating in being an entrepreneur. I think understanding though the stresses of that and or knowing the opposite side that you know you are also always on and it's really difficult to shut down at night and even shut your brain down as to what you've been doing all day or all year or all month and so yeah that kind of i think you need to like know and appreciate both sides before you jump into entrepreneurship and know that the first thing you start isn't necessarily going to be the one. This is like my fourth company, probably hundreds of more ideas that I've noodled on for a while. And I think don't give up if the first one doesn't take. I think, you know, you learn so much from the things that you start and maybe weren't totally the right timing or the right market. But yeah, you'll grow with that and you won't make those same mistakes or it'll be better timing next time. And so 
if you do know entrepreneurship is for you, start now, start something now, give it a go, learn from it and continue to iterate and grow as an entrepreneur with your new ideas and new markets and new opportunities as they come. And it's a great opportunity for women entrepreneurship. I think it's an awesome career choice. If it is yes. a career choice. And you meet the most amazing women too. At least I have like talking every week to just every single one just blows me away. And it's just, you just meet some really inspiring, intelligent women that are just doing really, really cool things. Definitely. Yeah. The female founder community is absolutely unbelievable. I feel so lucky to have been a part of a massive one for Veneta for, for years and continue to be in some of my best friends and lifelong loves are, are all in the female founder community. <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you so much, Vanessa. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on The Badass CEO. To get your copy of the top 10 tips every entrepreneur should know, go to thebadassceo.com forward slash tips. Also, please leave a review as it helps others find us. If you have any ideas or suggestions, I would love to hear them. So email me at mimi at thebadassceo.com. See you next week and thank you for listening.